0: Hello, my name is Laura Rupel, and welcome back to the Detours in Music podcast. Today's interview is season one, episode 33, Gabriel Dobner, Professor of Piano at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I hope you enjoy.
1: I'm Gabriel Dobner. I am Professor of Piano at uh, James Madison University, and I teach applied piano as well as the uh, collaborative piano classes.
0: Excellent. And when did you start at JMU? In
1: 2001.
0: How did you get your start in music?
1: I had my grandparents that lived in the apartment under us and they had a piano. And my parents realized when I was five years old that I was always gravitating towards the piano and always playing on the piano. And then they decided to take me as well as my brother into the Chicago uh, Conservatory of Music to see how well we would do. I was only six years old. Mm And uh, my brother, who was a year older, was completely restless. So the teacher said, I can't teach him, but I will teach him. So um, I guess I was a little bit more calm and more manageable as as a six-year-old anyway. Yeah. Um, But I took to it right away, and I I really enjoyed the lessons. I I must have had a a really great teacher right from the beginning. She was a a very kind lady that really worked well for me. Did you
0: ever study an instrument outside of piano?
1: Yes, I played flute for three weeks. Okay. (laughs) As a wind player yourself, what what bothered me, uh, I never got over having a a kind of a dizzy feeling when I played, so obviously I was doing something wrong. Maybe. (laughs) And after, uh, at that point, having played piano for eight or 10 years, I really missed having a harmonic underpinning in the Mm idea of playing one line just did not appeal to me. And there yeah. was, had I done a, an, another instrument before piano that probably wouldn't have been the case, but mm-hmm. that was the uh, life of a pianist, right? When we're used to having the full harmony, it's it seems so much more enjoyable uh, working on a piece where I could hear everything, because I, I mean, granted it was only three weeks, but being that I read music, I was, I, I progressed fairly quickly, mm-hmm. but it didn't Appeal to me that I was playing just one line mm-hmm. and, and every instrument has its thing and, and as a pianist yourself you you, mm-hmm. you obviously that didn't bother you the way it bothered me but I, and there are just too many other things to worry about with uh, yeah. with you guys with reeds or, or with uh with flute with intonation and amateur it was just uh, I couldn't deal with it I just yeah you know.
0: wanted to focus more on the sound and not like the technical
1: The sound and not the technical aspects of the instrument itself, you know, yeah, the the mechanics of the instrument. Yeah.
0: When did piano become something you were taking very seriously and something that you wanted to pursue for a career?
1: Well, I started to take it very seriously probably at the age of nine or so. Uh, At at the age of 10, I believe it was, my parents enrolled me in a school in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, It was very interesting. It was every Saturday morning we would... uh, I would have my piano lesson, a two-hour theory class, and a two-hour collaborative piano class, mm. which of course was, was called accompanying at that time for sure. Um, but it was very unusual at that time to have, espe- especially, excuse me, especially this uh, collaborative class. I mean, that yeah. was just heard of. So uh, I graduated, well, I didn't graduate, but I stopped going there when I entered college. And so I had already played quite a bit of, of instrumental collaboration, and we did quite a bit with voice as well. So Mm -hmm. really opened my eyes. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience.
0: Um, And where did you attend school or multiple schools and why?
1: Well, I did my bachelor's degree in Chicago at Roosevelt University, uh, smack dab in the middle of downtown. Um, That appealed to me probably because uh, maybe I was a pretty young 18-year-old and I just simply wasn't ready to leave. Plus, I heard of a wonderful teacher there, her name is Ludmilla Lazar, and uh, to this day we're still close friends now, uh, but it, it, that was a really great school, it had a phenomenal reputation. And then I did my master's and uh, DMA at Indiana University. Uh, I went there basically on uh, based on its reputation as a great mm-hmm. school. music. And in between my, uh, when I finished my bachelor's, I went to Vienna to study for uh, two semesters. Uh, uh, it was a kind of an unofficial thing. I was kind of a guest student.
0: Were you that, really studying collaborative piano in Vienna?
1: No, that was solo okay. with uh, Paul Bador Skoda. Uh, that's an interesting story, if I may say. I, I was naive enough to move to Vienna before my audition. Uh, so I had an apartment, uh, I had a roommate, then I had my audition and didn't get in. Uh, so they auditioned about, I think, 75 or 80 people. And at the end of the day, they have a list of people on, on the wall and my name wasn't on there. So I went to the uh, cafeteria and cried in a cappuccino. Mm-hmm. the cappuccino. The very person with whom I wanted to study, Paul Bador Škoda, came up to me with another very famous Viennese pianist, uh, Hans Graf, and asked me what was wrong. And I obviously looked very distraught and I said, "Well, my name's not on the list," and I was the second to last one, so they still remembered me. And they said, "Well, young man, you played very well, uh, but we only accepted five people, and there were seventy-five or whatever the number was. Uh, but would you be able to afford lessons with me for twenty-five dollars an hour?" And my just my world opened up. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with anything official from the school. Uh, I just had my lessons to worry about. And then I said, "Well, I don't have a piano," and he took me, he marched me to the front office and arranged a piano room, practice room for me that I had access to all day long. It was a room just for me. I, I don't wow. know how we did it, uh, but they, they, they just had so many practice rooms at that university. Uh, hmm. I think that Wasn't an issue in a, in a room, the size of, uh, oh gosh, I don't know. It's a, like five or six of our studios at JMU is this huge room wow. with, with two Steinway Ds. No, actually Burzendorfer, this was Vienna, of course. It was. Yeah, so that was an incredible experience, but that was only from September till April.
0: Okay, maybe that can be a lesson for people listening. Of, you know, it never hurts to ask <laughs> or see no. what you can do to get your way back into something.
1: That's true, but you know, it's it's amazing how life works. Had I had I gone anywhere else to cry in a cappuccino, I wouldn't that that wouldn't not have happened. But uh, that's a strong argument. If something's meant to happen, it will happen. It's mm-hmm. an old cliche, but it, that certainly worked on that particular day. So yeah. that, that was a great experience for me.
0: Um, what is something that you struggled with, maybe particularly in your undergraduate degree?
1: I mean, undergrad, um, I probably struggled a bit in theory, even though I had quite a bit of background. Um, and I think the reason I, I may have struggled in theory is that, uh in undergrad, I found the schedule to be really conducive to practicing, so I was really practicing four or five hours a day, and I was happy to barely get by, which I wouldn't recommend to students, by the way. Mm-hmm. And But if I could say, impart something to, to undergrad students these days, if there's something I could do differently, the two classes I would have taken most seriously, other than piano itself, would be theory and even more ear training. Mm-hmm. Um, And the air training I did take seriously, but that is something that uh, the importance of those two classes cannot be uh, underestimated. It's extremely important to have those two very seriously because they can help you down the road in everything we do as musicians, so. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, that kind of goes into my next question usually is advice you have for younger players.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, first of all, uh, in undergrad, this may sound silly, but I, I wouldn't set strict goals for myself because or for, for oneself, because uh, you never know where music is going to take you. Yeah. And I think you have to leave all doors open. You have no idea uh, what, uh, where things will lead. And what, what you have to do is um, cultivate contacts. I think that's crucial. Mm-hmm. You have to establish a rapport with your teacher, because as you know, in, in, in our field, our our relationship with our mentors or our teachers is very unique. It's one on one, so I would really cultivate that, and um, and just take just take advantage of every course you take, and 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 um, but really keep your eyes open and your mind open, and and you have no idea where things are going to lead. And I can get into um, how that played a really important role in my life. Uh, uh, you, you have all these interesting um, detour questions, you know, and I found those kind of fascinating. I was thinking about that a little bit, um, but gosh, when, when did I realize my life was on, a my musical life was on a detour. I think my whole life has been a detour. Yeah. I, you know, I went to Indiana, all my degrees are solo repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went into Indiana, I did my master's with James Toko. but when I, when I started my doctorate, that's when my life changed. And since then it, it, has been a detour. From, mm-hmm. from my original idea, where a solo pianist. I thought I would just get a collegiate job. And, and actually, you know, in undergrad, it didn't even occur to me that I was going to be a professor. That wasn't, also wasn't a goal. I just wanted to study mm-hmm. repertoire and become a better pianist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but when I went into to my first lesson as a DMA student with Leonard Hopkinson, uh, he, he uh, asked me what I was playing, and it was a Beethoven sonata. And he said, "Oh Lord, I just taught three Beethoven sonatas." And he went through my knapsack, and I said, "What are you doing?" And he saw, he found these Schumann songs that I had just bought across the street. There was a bookstore in Bloomington called TIS. So I, and he said, "Well, let's let's go over this Schumann song cycle. It's called Dichterliebe." And I said, "Well, I just bought this an hour ago." And he says, "I don't care." And he talked he talked through it uh, this entire cycle, and I was hooked. It's like I got infected by this art song bug you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and I grew up with art song because my mother's Austrian so I always had this playing in 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 our home so I knew a lot of the repertoire but um, and then so a a lot of my lessons after that I just found great singers to work with and Bloomington was not short on great singers Mm -hmm. so I would bring in for my solo lessons I would bring in singers or chamber music I did quite a, a few quintets and some trios but mainly singers and, of course, solo rep. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like at least 70% of my lessons were spent on song literature with this great person who lived in Europe for 30 years and played with all these famous singers. And mm-hmm. uh, it was an incredible experience. And that I did not see coming even yeah. three years earlier. I had no idea. And then, of course, he's the one that suggested I move to Europe and he had all these contacts. And So that, you never know where life is going to take. you.
0: Know? Yeah, I think that's... Excellent that you had that mentor that actually ended up being something not only that you yeah. liked, but he helped you like and was not discouraging that you were a solo pianist only.
1: Yeah, right. And and that's why I always have a little bit of a chuckle when undergrads, especially uh, by the time pe- people are master's students, they're a little wiser. But undergrads, who say, well, I don't want to take this collaborative class. I'm a soloist. I was like, sure you are. But, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, the, 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 Collaborative music making helps us in our solo repertoire. As soon as these yeah. people realize that, the better off they are. But that, that's a whole nother issue. Yeah. But, uh, but just to close yourself off from the get-go is not a good idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's just part of being young.
0: In the yes. <laughs> we want to be right about something.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Did you ever consider not being a musician? And if you have sometimes, what do you think you'd be drawn to? No,
1: I... I knew since I was probably 10 years old that I really wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. I, I have a sister that's a veterinarian, and I thought that could be something that would be interesting mm-hmm. until I realized how terrible I am in biology in high school. So that kind of took care of itself, yeah. um, and I realized I wasn't that interested in it. And um, and I always had great piano teachers in Chicago, private studio teachers when I was growing up. So I was always drawn closer and closer to music. So. Mm-hmm that became less and less a possibility to, to, or less and less an interest to do anything other than music.
0: Yeah. And that's not a bad thing.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, it's not a bad thing. But, um, <laughs> it's nice. Uh, the People that have choices, but I felt I felt like as though I didn't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what I wanted to do.
0: That's good. Since your career has brought you mostly in collaborative, but also as solo and as a professor of both things, um, how do you balance... Those passions, I guess.
1: Well, it, it, it's an ideal situation for me because all uh, my, the last time I played on stage solo was mm-hmm. in
0: Tokyo
1: in 1997.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Uh, yeah, not, there might have been a few smaller things, but this was a rather uh, big event, and I. But that was the last time, so um, I, I have to say I miss solo repertoire, but. I get my solo fixed through my applied studio. So I have really an ideal situation, whereas all, all my playing is collaborative at this point, and most of my teaching is solo. It's just the
0: best
1: yeah. of both worlds. So I, I get to keep my hands in both, and it's really a great, great thing for me. It's a great situation.
0: Do you have a favorite collaborative situation? My guess is it's probably art song, but. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would say um, definitely art song, and even more specifically, if you want to be more specific, German art song. Mm-hmm. Where all the money is, Laura. <laughs> where all the money is. Um, but you know, since I've I've been at JMU, I've done so much repertoire with every instrument, and um, I really I really do enjoy everything. If um, I have some colleagues here with whom I really enjoy playing and working, and uh, but in my off-campus life. Is ninety nine point nine percent song repertoire,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and of the song repertoire, eighty five percent German. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's kind. Of, I've I've kind of been able to create a perfect situation for myself, mm-hmm. and it, it, for me, the exact career that I wound up really wanting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been ideal.
0: What brought you or drew you into the job at JMU?
1: Well, yeah, I, I was living in uh, Augsburg, Germany, which is near Munich. Um, but I had already been playing at the Stanton Music Festival, which is just down the road. So, And its director, Carson Schmidt, who's a very good friend of mine, who happens to be German, told me of this position that's open at James Madison University. He obviously wanted me to come back. Um, so I applied, and I thought, well, why not? And um, I had already been in Europe for nine years at that point. And, um, I was ready for a, for a teaching position. Uh, and in Europe, I, I applied to uh, the Hochschule, the, the university in Leipzig. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Germany, what they do is they rate the first three candidates, uh, the top three, and I was third. Mm-hmm. And number one or number two, not taking the job for whatever reason, I would have gotten it. Mm-hmm. But uh, close, but no cigar. It wasn't good enough for me. So mm-hmm. I needed a, and then I was, uh, Then then I got a job as a, part-time instructor at the University of Augsburg-Nuremberg University, Um, which by the way was probably the shortest uh, appointment that they've ever had, because I had the job for two weeks and then I got the job at JMU and I told them that I was quitting. And
0: (laughs) the
1: the university there just kind of had a chuckle. He said, well, you are indeed our our shortest appointment we've ever had. It was part-time and, you know, when you live in Europe and your parents are getting older and Mm -hmm. uh, the, the thing is I felt as though I had made uh serious contacts in Europe and I knew if I came back to the States I would still be playing in Europe regularly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the case. So um again, even with my professional life, I had the best of both worlds because I've I've managed to uh, uh keep my concert activity going in Europe and I'm lucky enough to have uh, in one one German tenor in particular, Gerhard Siegel, who's been at the met since 2004 and i'm his exclusive pianist he doesn't do a lot of leader concerts but or song repertoire but Mm -hmm. we do anywhere between three and seven concerts a year and Mm -hmm. it's great so and then jmu and then i really when i came to jmu to audition i knew i loved the area it's a beautiful area as you know Mm -hmm. and um and i was quite taken with the school i thought it was really great and there's this. Professor, I think his name is Dr. Rupel. (laughs) And we somehow hit it off right away. And um, he made me feel, I don't know, kind of felt like home right away. So
0: I'm sure he'll appreciate hearing that. He'll say, that's not what I was trying to do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He didn't scare me away. He tried, but he didn't work.
0: (laughs) What are some of your current goals for maybe repertoire you would like to play soon or for the field of music or your studio specifically?
1: Well, uh, for my studio, um, I have a, a quite a number of of grad students, and my goal is to, uh, well, first of all, get them out of here with a DMA degree it would be great. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle, but it's it it, it can be done, yeah. um, and it's just to expose them to as much great repertoire as possible, and to um, and uh, yeah, my goal for the for the studio is just to to. Create the highest level as I can, which is the the goal for for each of us. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing this, with, in my studio, I, even with the DMA students, uh, my goal is to uh, kind of uh, introduce them into the joy of collaborative playing. And what I, I've I've started one court new course here since I've been here, and probably in around 2010 or 2008, I been doing every other year a course on German leader it's a seminar so it's a performance class and they all seem to really enjoy that quite a bit mm-hmm. um and then for my my uh, off-campus career yeah I mean it, to me it's just uh, to play and record as much as I can uh, I'm not the biggest fan of recording but my tenor likes to record so we do quite a bit uh but it's just I, I just love performing this repertoire it's it's, mm-hmm. it's uh I don't know if I can. Uh, one of your one of the quotes that you had listed was I think yeah. it was a Schumann that said that uh, the job of the artist is to uh, breathe light into the, to the darkness of of I think that was Schumann. Yeah. But you know, if I see one person in the audience having a wonderful time, that's kind of all I need, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with, with that repertoire, is, it's very dear to Germans because po- it's a combination of two art forms, and poetry is still a very big thing in the European uh, curriculum in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in life in general, it's taken more seriously than it is here, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're doing art song and it's, it involves a poem that they know, you, you you just have a sense that they're hanging on every word. Yeah, and it's 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 a wonderful feeling. So.
0: I, I would also assume in Germany, as a German who understands the poetry and then it's also not being translated in front of you, then I'm sure that that experience would also be um, yeah. a lot more personal.
1: Yeah, they get that firsthand and when, when I can really feel that difference. Much like when Americans do uh, English or, or American song repertoire here, mm-hmm. it's quite something. And uh, for the last uh, five years, well now with the pandemic, it's been five years, but I've only taught there three times so far. is In Austria, at the Ames Institute, mm-hmm. and I have a leader studio there. It's a six-week course, and it's it's all Americans except for usually a few Italians are there and a couple Austrians. But by and large, it's Americans. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that the singers say is that they noticed in the concerts uh, how incredible it is to sing in German with an audience that's not looking at a translation, like you said. Yeah, yeah really hanging on every word and what that does is that makes them really even uh, they know that they have to deliver really clear addiction mm-hmm. and have real intent in what they're saying and understanding in what they're saying mm-hmm. it's an eye-opener for them
0: yeah there's no hiding <laughs>
1: no, there's no hiding no yeah. the big thing for me is, is to really um not shut yourself off and ple- leave yourself open to to opportunities and to possibilities because you really have no idea yeah. I had no idea in my undergrad I had no aspirations to be a professor I had no idea I had certainly if someone told me I was going to spend 10 years in Europe I would have told him that they were crazy um, I had, did not see that coming mm-hmm. um, and that that's been uh, probably the most beneficial thing for me in my in my musical life mm-hmm. and this all happened you never know the importance of the people people you meet in, in your in your career. Yeah. And none of, none of this would have happened had I not met Leonard Holkinson in Bloomington in 1988 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that didn't happen, I would have just gone the typical solo piano route. Uh, and I, I I found something that I'm uh, at least i like to think I'm particularly good at. So um, and I, it, I found a, a niche for myself. And that's what we all have to do is find out what what appeals to us the most mm-hmm. then pursue that but yeah. and you know i think you we all go through life when you're 21 you think you're old when you're 25 you think you're old but when i can i can tell you when you're 61 you do think you're old and you are old but if i could just go back to undergrad and kick myself every time i said i'm i'm old and it, it, don't do that because yeah. you're not it's like i
0: can't <laughs> learn something new <laughs>
1: Right. Oh, no, I can't do anything. That And, you know, even when I, I, I moved to Europe to be, I got a German scholarship to study in Munich. And I was 29, and I was in, towards the end of my DMA. And uh, actually, I think I was 30, yeah. Um, and I, it was a kind of an embarrassing age for me at that point, to be, especially in Europe. The students, there were some students that old, but, um, uh, but that was an invaluable experience. And uh, I met some incredible singers. And I, I don't know how much you are into in, into singers, probably, I, I don't know. But there's this one famous, super famous uh, tenor, Jonas Kaufmann, who's the biggest name out there now. And he was in my in my studio, in my leaders, in my song studio where, where I was, when I was studying in Munich. And he's not the only now famous singer that was part of that. There are three or four, and uh, it was just, um, an incredible experience for me but then again none of this would have happened had i not met leonard Hopkinson.
0: So. yeah and i'm sure you've been that teacher for some of your students you've had
1: i'd like to think so yeah I, I realize how incredibly important mentorship is and to to care deeply about your students mm-hmm. uh, as he did for his so
0: yeah i hope you all enjoyed that as much as i did first of all i wanted to just mention the full quote by robert schumann that was mentioned which is to send light into the darkness of men's hearts, such is the duty of the artist. One of the great things about the podcast first season was that I was interviewing people and professors that I knew very well and got to learn more of their story and things that don't come up in class time. And lately, for the past two years, now that I've not been focusing on the first season of JMU Musicians is I'm learning everything for the first time and I don't have a basis of knowledge about someone and so it was very special to go back to Professor Dobner and he is someone I met when I was three years old so um, it was very cool to learn more about his background and speak to him as a musician and as someone in the same field. As always, the best way to keep up with the podcast is through our social media accounts and feel free to reach out if there's ever a guest you are just dying to hear on the podcast. Thank you for listening.